Welcome to Fertility Cafe, the home for every conversation exploring alternative family building through IVF, surrogacy, egg, sperm, and embryo donation. Our host, Eloise Drain, alternates episodes between educational shows covering specific topics and guest narratives for further insight. For a mastery, understanding, and confidence in all things alternative family, subscribe to Fertility Cafe. Hey there, welcome to episode 91 of Fertility Cafe. In this episode, we'll be talking about what it's like finding out you are faced with infertility, including what it's like processing that information and moving forward seeking answers and treatment. The industry talks a lot about IVF, egg donation, and surrogacy as a means to the end goal of having a family. But many people skip over one of the hardest parts in the process, learning that you have infertility issues. Rather than allowing individuals and couples the time, space, and compassion to fully process this information, most professionals charge right ahead into solutions, options, and next steps. But what is the real toll of finding out you have infertility issues? How do you adjust mentally, emotionally, and socially within your family and friend groups? How does it affect your identity, self-worth, and vision for your life? My guest on today's show is a relationship expert who inadvertently also became an infertility expert. Andrea Sertash is the founder of Pregnantish, the first media platform dedicated to helping people navigate fertility treatments and infertility. A regular on-air personality and the host of Pregnantish podcast, Andrea's hosted TV shows for Oprah's own, Discovery, and Fox, and is the author of He's Just Not Your Type, and That's a Good Thing, and Cheat on Your Husband with Your Husband. I love her relatable relationship writing, and I think it's fantastic that Andrea's committed to breaking the taboo of infertility and elevating the conversation about what it takes for so many people out there to start a family. So I'm very excited to welcome Andrea to the show today. Andrea, it is so great to have you here. I'm so happy to be here and talk to you again. It's been a while. It has. It definitely has. So first, I'd love to start with your story. And if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your journey. Absolutely. I usually joke when someone asks me, how long is your show? Because um, (laughs) it was, (laughs) it was, I mean, the short version-ish, eight years to baby, about 18 fertility treatments. Mm. Lots of meds and shots, but uh, even more Kleenex as it was heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And I became a mother thanks to my first cousin, Alana, who was my angel on earth as my gestational surrogate Mm -hmm. in year eight. And now I have a four-year-old named Ariel, who's my pride and joy. And she was frozen in time Mm -hmm. for a couple of years waiting for a uterus, a healthy uterus Mm -hmm. to bring her into the world. Wow. So would you mind kind of sharing your story a little bit? I mean, I know that you had to endure a lot, which I know also impacts your body and Mm -hmm. your mind and all of the things. So would you mind sharing a little bit about that? My background, you know, I'm a, you may not know, I'm a relationships author and I've spent my whole career helping people navigate relationship challenges. And I always say infertility is the biggest relationship challenge you never Mm. knew you'd have. When sex does not make baby, 
and it doesn't for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it impacts every single thing, your your body, your bank account, your mental health, everything. And it's a marathon, of course. I had many times, I always give the image of the fertility treatment patient. You know, you, you're running on this marathon, but with an, a real marathon, you know where the finish line is. And in this marathon, it's you just keep running and you fall over exhausted. You dust yourself off. You're bruised. You keep running and it's exhausting. And you don't, when you don't know where that finish line is, it's really hard sometimes to keep running. So that's how I describe it. I though often say to our audience at Pregnanish, I really believe that your six was easier for me than your one or two of the struggle to conceive because after a few years of it, I started to open up to the possibility of it may not be my body. It may not be my egg. In in the end, it was my egg and my husband's sperm. It was not my body who carried the baby, Mm -hmm. but I didn't even think like that in the first couple of years of trying. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like when sex did not make baby, I thought IUI was the answer. Then I thought IVF was the answer. And every roadblock just kept coming in front of us. And it was exhausting. Mm -hmm. And you along the way dealt with several pregnancy losses. And I know it's not something that society really talks about. And it's something that's still very taboo and hush hush. So how, what would you share on that in your perspective on even for someone that is and has dealt with pregnancy loss? It doesn't help that it's common. Actually, it's very painful to share that it's common that too many people are suffering this devastating experience is really sad. But I share that to say you are so not alone. And what one thing that I realized, and both through pregnancy loss and even embryo transfer loss was devastating after mm. spending sometimes, you know, saving for the treatment, putting everything into that. And then that was an extreme loss as well. But I started to really get to this point and there were, there was a lot of grief for babies I hadn't met, but I knew I loved where I had to find rituals at that time to honor those babies, those beings, that those things that I loved that I never met, but that were deep inside of me and my heart. And I'll never forget in year six of this process, someone suggested I light a candle for every baby I thought I'd meet in the six years, my bedroom was full of light and candles. And it was a very powerful image because I looked around and it was so beautiful and so heartbreaking. And I said, a wish a prayer, sent love and said, you know, there's a lot of love in this room, but I'm going to move on and meet my baby. And it's not you, but I love you. You know, I just said my own little Mm-hmm. message. Mm-hmm. And that was very cathartic as a ritual because it allowed me to grieve, to, to create the space to grieve because life just keeps moving fast. And you're not talking about it with your boss or your friends all the time or at a dinner party. It's like, right. <laughs> but you need somewhere to release this grief. So yep. creating those moments, sometimes I always tell our audience at pregnancy too, like whatever you can do to hold the space to honor the babies you love, but didn't meet is a, is a great thing. It's mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. 
And and it sounds like you were definitely bound and determined to have a baby. <laughs> so let's talk about your cousin who became your gestational surrogate and how that came about. Well, again, the short version, <laughs> because once we knew in year five or six, a doctor said, stop using your embryos. I think you're making good embryos. And until we genetically test them, we can't tell if it's your uterus or the egg or the sperm. Let's just test the embryos. Once we tested and we had healthy embryos, that's when he said, go to surrogacy. And mm. I was like, oh, easy. That's what we needed. Nothing's easy about that, as you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we had a couple of years of bad hiccups with one agency I wouldn't, I won't mention. That's not a, a one I would recommend. We had two people leave us and one left us at a very late stage after we had negotiated the terms, five months of working with this GC to align, sending her kid birthday gifts and in touch. She was, we had a relationship and she, I, to this day, she ghosted me. I don't know what happened. Our transfer was coming up and we're waiting for the last, you know, signature on the legal paperwork and all the medical tests have been done. Everything had been done. And to this day, I don't know where she is. And I wish her well, but it felt like another miscarriage. Oh my gosh. So my cousin who sent me a new year's message in early January, 2018. Hey, happy new year. How are you doing? I'm like, do you want to know the truth? I can't get out of bed. This woman's left me and mm. I'm, I'm exhausted already. I can't go through this anymore. Actually, I told her husband this and he told his wife, my cousin, Oh my goodness, Andrea's GC just disappeared. And my cousin texted me that night and said, have you ever thought of a family member to help? And uh, that's how this all started. I would never have asked her. Mm. I would never have imagined she would have offered. She's an amazing person, but like, I would never have asked someone to do this for us. She was compelled to offer. And uh, that's when my life changed overnight. You know, but I, and I hear so many people say I would never ask anybody, but I think sometimes though you take that ability from somebody and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to come right out and ask, mm -hmm. right? But I think also being able to give someone that ability to say, hey, I'm willing mm -hmm. to do this for you, even though you may not come out and say you're asking, but at least the fact that you were willing to share your story and you were truthful with how you were actually feeling and knowing that that was such a significant loss. And I think the other point to your story as well is even though you match and even though you think that everything is in line and everything is going to happen, sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And that's an undertold story of this journey for both intended parents and carriers and donors. Like nothing is a straight line when you're creating babies and families through science and technology and mm -hmm. humans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Nothing is a straight line. And that's why we call it pregnant-ish. Uh, there's a lot of ish. There's a lot yeah. of magic in the ish, I always say, like there really is because the unexpected can be so beautiful sometimes. Like this was totally unexpected when my cousin texted me, but the ish can also be full of heartache and bumps that, wow, I didn't know that was part of the plan or the journey. And I think like it's the biggest test of resilience to make a baby this way. But once I got that text, I will say, Eloise, like it was so interesting how much I knew now I'm going to be a mom. Like it, it, the text came through, it felt it deep in my heart. 
like this was the, I would never have wished our journey or anyone's hard journey on anyone. But in that moment, I was like, wait, this actually makes sense that Mm -hmm. my cousin, we look alike. We've always been called like twin cousins. Not that you have to look like your surrogate at all, but, (laughs) but like, we've always been similar beings. Our dad's escaped hungry together. And you, I know you've read the article in People Magazine about us. Like my dad was born in hiding during World War II. At the end of World War II in Budapest, he, my grandmother delivered my dad underground. And as a Jew, you know, you didn't want to be caught. His grandparents were killed. Like they, a lot of family were killed. And my cousin's late, now late father was younger than my dad. And when he escaped communism, Uh, in Hungary in 1956. My dad was a young kid. He was 13. He carried my uncle, Alana's dad, on his back out of the country on foot and, again, passed a lot of dead bodies and a lot of trauma. But when Alana offered, I said to her, it's it's amazing that my dad carried your dad on his back and now you're you got my back like this is a circle of life story and she said something really powerful which again is in that people article but she said this is an opportunity for me to help try to rebuild our family because our grandmother that we shared my dad's mother had so much trauma lost so much she lost two baby boys lost so much family and was traumatized by that. And my cousin was like, let's let's do this together to start like a new chapter of our family tree. And I just knew it was right. It was like, wow, this is powerful. So yeah, it's the greatest thing. And Ariel, you know, is named after our grandmother now. Not the name Ariel, but she has another name that that is named after my grandmother, Judith. And yeah, she's with us and it's great. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, we started talking before we I started recording of just how things are supposed to happen exactly mm-hmm. and well, how things happen is exactly how it's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And that, by the way, when people used to say that to me, I wanted to slap them because yes. it's like, I'm suffering. Don't tell me that. But now, no, I, I've always felt that way. In fact, you know, when early on in the journey, people kept saying, you're going to have the child you're meant to have. You have to hold on to that. That was helpful for me actually, because I'll never know all the babies I never met that I loved, but this daughter I have of mine was so worth the wait. Like Mm -hmm. uh, she's amazing. So yeah, if we, if any other thing had worked, I wouldn't have Ariel. That's a weird Mm -hmm. thing to think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you've given some excellent Ted talks and written so much about relationships. I'm curious about talking about the unsexy part of trying to conceive <laughs> yeah. and how that may impact your relationships. Yeah, I write about that a lot because uh, it's not sexy. Mm. Trying to, well, so love making and baby making right away are different whether or not you're struggling. It's just a different vibe, right? When you're tracking your ovulation and you're trying to get it on as in a heterosexual couple, like that is already not that sexy, but it could still be romantic because oh, we're going to be parents. But when you strip away the romance and you're now on hormones, you're now going through like trying to recover after the grief of a failed embryo transfer or miscarriage, anything this community faces. And then you're told by your doctor to have intimacy and it is 
hard. So one of my biggest tips for couples struggling to conceive is to remember your lovers and partners, not just people trying to make a baby mm. and to hook up when you're not fertile is really important. Like, mm. so to really like say, Oh, guess what? I want to see you when I'm not fertile. I want to have a date night when there's no chance because then we alleviate some pressure and we find that space to see each other in a way that's so important that gets lost. So that's one of my biggest pieces of advice, but also to like give yourself some grace when you're like bloated on the meds sometimes, <laughs> like don't kick yourself if you're not in the mood. I mean, come on. Like that, yeah. that is yeah. hard. If you yeah. need to like pull up with some French fries and a Netflix and chill, go for it. I mean, I don't think you need to turn your sexy on all the time, even if you feel that pressure. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> and I think too, that a lot of times women are the ones who kind of bear like all of the weight of holding on to that whole infertility umbrella, right? And one of the things that I like in Pregnant Dish is that you've incorporated men mm-hmm. and their experience with infertility as well. Can you talk about what men go through and the male role in infertility issues that we do not hear about really ever? Thank you for asking that. It's obviously as a woman, I can talk about it as a storyteller and as a journalist. I've interviewed so many men at this point in navigating this, both with partners when they're not the ones with the medical infertility diagnosis and those who have male factor infertility. I've interviewed both. And men are 100% in on this journey and often left out of the stories. And we made a commitment day one of pregnancy. So we were the first media site in the category. Mm -hmm. So we were the first platform saying, you're not, we're not going to be like, when we launched pregnancy, the only place to find infertility content and modern family building content beyond like clinics and WebMD and Resolve with the great places. But as a media platform, the only place to find it was parenting outlets which is very triggering when you're going through this. So we dedicated the space to like people for whom sex does not make baby, but they want to have babies, singles, couples, LGBTQ. And men were in our welcome video as were singles, as were so many people who were left out of who needs to be served in this. We also made a uh, commitment back in 2016, 2017 to diversity and storytelling way before I will say it was in vogue to do Mm. this because it is the right thing to do. But we Mm -hmm. did this from consciously, intentionally for the last six, seven years because we did not want the same image of what infertility looks like that we had seen all over, you know, morning shows. By the way, I've been on many of these morning shows. I'm glad they're running any content. So it's no disrespect to them, but there's so many people. And I know, Eloise, you're passionate about that too, Mm -hmm. that you need to serve who Mm -hmm. are touched by this. Mm -hmm. And so that was part of our commitment. Men are writing us a lot of DMs today on the Pregnant Podcast, actually. I know this will air later, but I will say like, we did a whole spotlight this week on men on male factor infertility. And we're running the story of a couple. She's a Paralympic champion in a wheelchair. People assume her name's Mallory Wegeman. People assume she's infertile because she's in a wheelchair. She's on the U.S. swim team in the Paralympics. But it's her husband who's able-bodied, quote unquote, and is the one who had the infertility issue. So we have to turn on its head that men are not impacted. Yes. So that's important. But, you know, I think... Everybody, there's so many left out people. 
parents are left out. Like my mother admitted to me one day, like she was mourning when I was losing. She didn't want to tell me this. Of course. But she wanted to be a grandmother. It was heartbreaking to watch me who she loved and my husband who she loves suffering. And she felt like there was no one to talk to in her friend circle because they all had grandchildren and like, look, we don't know what they were going through behind the scenes, but this extends to everybody in mm-hmm. your village, like everybody. And it extends to everybody in your village if you're also willing to share. I That's think right. the other thing too is, is that there's still this stigma regarding infertility and people not willing to share what they're going through. And rightfully so, you don't necessarily have to share, but in that same vein, it's also of if you don't share, how do you release? Mm-hmm. You're just going to keep it bent up. If mm-hmm. you don't share, if you don't express, if you don't release that pain, it's going to stay in there and fester. Mm-hmm. There's an old expression I always like, which is if you bury secrets, you bury them alive. And what happens is they come out and they manifest in much less healthy ways sometimes. So Grief is a hard thing to face, Mm. but if you face it in a way that honors your experience and sharing might not mean broadcasting it on Instagram. That's right. Share it, right? It could mean like telling a close friend, telling a stranger who you just trust. Like it doesn't matter who it is, but I totally agree with you not to keep this bottled up with everybody because that can be suffocating. Yeah, for sure. So can we talk about pregnant-ish and and talk about, I mean, you've shared why you created it, but when somebody goes there, what is it that they can expect to receive from it? Oh, that's a nice question. I mean, I think like when we launched what I want, I would answer it differently because when we launched, all I was looking for was premium content that was fact-checked, that was written with, we have professional editors and writers in our network. And my video team comes from, I used to host for the Oprah Network in Canada. Like they come from like great media backgrounds. And I was like, we need to elevate the storytelling. That was my mission, number one. And promote education, destigmatize this through storytelling. But what's come out of it is this vibrant, robust community of people on this journey and also providers. We serve a lot of providers, healthcare providers, who are just as committed as I know you are, Eloise, to creating these healthy babies Mm -hmm. and being part of the village. And we can't make a baby without you guys. So like being our our next uh, phase of pregnancy is bridging the gap between patients and providers we're starting a national survey at the in, in the next month or so. We ran probably, we think, the largest study ever on patient retention a few years ago on why patients leave or stay with a fertility clinic. I've spoken at many fertility conferences on this. We were published in the journal Human Reproduction, so it's pretty cool for us to be scientifically published. But beyond just like the bragging rights of that, what, mm-hmm. what that really showed us was oh my gosh, this is a pain point. People are dying to get their voices out. We need to like beef up our insights here. We need to do more research to really reflect the voice of today's patient and provider and to bridge the gap. We we are making a baby together. We're on the same side. Mm-hmm. Whenever I used to coach couples, I would say, it's not us versus them. It's not you versus him. You shouldn't win an argument and feel good about that. You're on the same team. <laughs> like, yes. Yes. <laughs> so yes. as people on the same team, 
we, we need to bridge this gap. And sometimes it's really a communication issue where a patient might feel like the provider doesn't care. We know they care. We know that this is not why you're being underserved. Sometimes it's moving so fast. The big business of fertility sometimes is moving so fast. And sometimes it is transactional. Let's be honest. There's a lot of money in this field. Mm-hmm. And some people are not, I've, I always joke, like, it sounds like I'm on the bachelor. Some people are not in it for the right reasons. That's right. Um, right. And so we need to bring the humanity back to the making human process. And we'll do that through data, storytelling, research, and community and advocacy. And I'm a relationship, you know, at the end of the day, Pregnantish is a relationship platform that has other capabilities. <laughs> like, yeah. But- we are the relationship stakeholders in this category, we feel, and and there's a lot of work to be done there. So, Yeah, there is. And I'm glad, very happy to hear that you guys are working on that because one of the common themes that has been happening over and over and over again, even with what we're experiencing at Family Inceptions, mm-hmm. is parents that are talking about their patient experience and the lack of, quite honestly, patient experience and people wanting to jump ship from one location yes. to another location yes. and and why they want to, they don't feel like they're being taken care of. They don't feel like yes. they're being heard. They don't feel like they are getting the actual quality of service that they really deserve. And, you know, when we sit here and we talk about you need to advocate for yourself and you need to speak up for yourself and you need to. And so patients are starting to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's a wonderful news. And I totally agree with you. We did the survey reaching over a thousand patients. 33 years old was the average age of the survey participant and had gone to so many clinics over a number of years. And we know clinical outcomes probably aren't as great when you keep hopping around. First of all, you lose time. You're now working with someone who's trying to catch up and do a protocol and doesn't know you yet. Like a lot of what they're doing in art is art. Like Mm -hmm. if a good Mm -hmm. provider is doing art, you Mm -hmm. know, tweaking, not all providers do that, but it's hard when people are jumping around so much. I went to so many doctors over my eight years, like, So we don't want that. And 49% of respondents in our survey left because of a relationship themed issue, not because, because the treatment didn't work. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. That's why we, we want to create change to improve this gap. There shouldn't be a gap. And I think until the big business of fertility gets that we're going to have a problem Mm -hmm. because, you know, the doctors, the nurses, the embryologists, all these people are there for beautiful reasons. Like a lot of like you, Eloise, all of these people in the industry got here because in your heart, you felt you can make a positive difference. And it was core to who you are and your values, your identity. And then there's like certain people who have come in who just sniff a money trail. Yeah. And I get it. It's lucrative, right? But it's, short-sighted for the industry who comes from that to not Mm -hmm. realize that the patient's providers are going to start to feel burnt out when they're treated like a number and not like a human. It's really problematic. So I know we both feel strongly about that. Yeah. And not only that they're not being treated like a human, but at the end of the day, what you're coming to those professionals are for the most important thing and most important being in your life. That's right. Knowing that that is also not paramount in their minds Mm -hmm. on your behalf can be quite frustrating. 
Absolutely. And, you know, in terms of, and you, of course, at Family Inceptions, you're working with not only intended parents, but you're working with um, people helping serve the intended parents. Mm-hmm. Also, they're misunderstood. We're That's our right. next study, we're we're really looking at third-party reproduction in our national survey coming up on the journey because they're sometimes also treated in a transactional way. So to make the decision to be a donor, a surrogate, to make the decision to undergo those services as an intended parent, you're not buying a cupcake. I That's mean, right. <laughs> like, That's right. I always say that, like, it is not an easy jump for people. Now, it might be in their hearts to do these things, but there is a very emotional, spiritual, sometimes financial some journey. And serving the whole human in that will make for a better relation for everyone. So I really believe data will wake up certain players Mm. because without the data, like we could say this till we're blue in the face, but once we show, no, actually you're going to lose someone because of this. And that starts to click and, oh yeah, now I'm losing money. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's just the right thing to do. Right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So my final question, which kind of just alluding to what you just said, I read that you have said that infertility is not just a medical journey. It's also an emotional, relational, financial, physical, and spiritual one. How has this been a spiritual journey for you? Well, definitely what what I shared about my cousin was extremely spiritual to feel a connection to my, our grandmother was to me and spark something that was deep in my heart that I hadn't consciously thought about. Like the trauma my grandmother had over babies was real. Delivering my dad underground and hiding, scared she was going to be caught and murdered. I mean, talk about trauma. I can't even imagine that. So I think this spiritually has connected me to my family. I think spiritually it's connected me to something outside my own experience. I often joke, my story is boring compared to the million, (laughs) all the stories we serve at Pregnature are so fascinating. And, you know, on the podcast, we tell these incredible path to parenthood stories every time. My jaw is on the floor. I'm just constantly like, this is such extraordinary content. And, uh, very meaningful content. And to me, yeah, this, this has really allowed me to look beyond my own experience and see how connected we all are through this, how these stories can help others feel less alone. When we launched Pregnant Louise, people told me to hire, like now it would be chat GPT, but like, oh, don't Jesus. write real articles. Don't write real essays, hire cheap labor overseas. I was like, guys, you don't understand for me content and what you're doing on the podcast as well. Content is the pathway mm-hmm. to education, mm-hmm. to community, to mm-hmm. advocacy. Content is a pathway to connecting dots for people who are overwhelmed. If you're undervaluing content, you don't get it. And if content is also served in a way that's sloppy and transactional, and you're not going to capture this reader and their deepest pain point and their deepest dream. And so it's very spiritual for me. And content is something that your daughter and my daughters and other people's sons and and Mm -hmm. other people's children 
they will one day potentially need this information. Mm -hmm. So why not use your pain to be able to try to hopefully prevent them from having to endure the same thing? So that content mm -hmm. that we're putting out right now is not just for the here and now. That's Granted, right. things will change and it will evolve, but at least we're giving them a foundation of where to start from. Because for a lot of people that were dealing with infertility years and years ago, like you said, why you started pregnantish, there was nothing. There was nothing for you to seek out to gain any kind of knowledge from, and you had to figure it out on your own. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure every parent doesn't want their children to endure what they had to endure. Absolutely agree. And I think, you know, the other day, I'm pregnant. We shared the Empire State Building where I live, New York, Orange for infertility awareness. And it was so emotional for the community to see it. This iconic building recognizing this was very moved to our community in ways. It's been shared now over 200 times across the world in the last 48 hours from Brazil and Asia. Like we're seeing it pop up all over the place, thanking a building, mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> an iconic building for seeing me, right? You yep. see me. Yep. So things are shifting. We're raising like the frequency yep. of this and it, and it's only going to benefit to your point, future generations. I hope. Yes, exactly. Andrea, thank you so much for being on the show with me today and sharing your experience and for all the things that you are doing. And obviously we'll be sure to have the information for Pregnant Dish on show notes. So thank you. Perfect. Thanks so much for having me. It was great, great to be here. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please rate Fertility Cafe on your favorite listening platform and share this episode with anyone you think could benefit from hearing it. Tune in next week for another amazing episode on Fertility Cafe. Until then, remember, love has no limits. Neither should parenthood.